Blog Talk Radio. situation going on where um, the uh, the music for the people who die uh, kept playing over and over on the intercom. And it was really beginning to flip me out and freak me out uh, because I was like, my God, is there that many people in this hospital dying? And then we get into the uh, room and um, the, uh, the nurse is there and I said, man, I said, what's going on? Like, is this many people... 
uh, passing away and she laughed and she said, no, honey, no, no, they're, they're testing something and, and it's been going on all day. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, whatever. So my wife and I, we had a few laughs and stuff and uh, the doctor come in to do the procedure and, uh, you know, without giving any much more detail, things just went wrong really fast. And uh, it put everything and my whole life into perspective and uh, I, I suffered um, without too much detail, um, a little uh, PTSD in my life, um, and it unfortunately triggered that, and uh, when the show was ready to come on, I'm being as real as anybody can be right now, and and I I ask for forgiveness from my colleagues, I ask for them to understand that I didn't mean to to drop out on them, but I, I literally... I couldn't open my mouth. And anybody that knows me knows, like, wow, how can that guy, like, not be able to communicate, right? And and I have no idea why. Um, I just know that uh, when things uh, get me really excited or danger or I have just this shutdown mechanism that uh, that uh, just allows me to be able to communicate. And... Um, it's not something that I'm very proud of. It's something that I'm going to try to continue to work on. And it was something that I couldn't even let my teammates know at the time being. I had to, uh, unfortunately, let them know the next day when I finally got my wings back. <laughs> um, so if you're suffering with something, or and I hate to use that word like that because it, 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 suffering is such a detrimental term. And it's not that we suffer in our illness or our injury. It's we find ourselves in a complicated situation, and we have to dig our way out of it. And suffering is forever living inside of it. And I don't believe that that's the proper way to handle it. So uh, I do have an issue with the way that I speak of what I have um, had to deal with through my life. Um, and I'm sure that other people have had to deal with similar things and maybe they've had similar reactions or maybe, you know, maybe it doesn't bother them. Maybe they have thicker skin, but it's okay if you suffer or you, you have yourself, you find yourself in, in a place, um, where you don't understand or where you can't communicate or where you're having a, an overwhelming feeling of anxiety, know that you're not alone. I know so many people are willing to speak out against mental illness these days, and so many people are willing to speak out um, when, you know, but I'm just a common person, right? I'm not I'm not Kevin Love. I'm not uh, Mike Tyson. I'm not, you know, I'm not anybody special at all. Like, uh, I do a podcast. That's pretty cool. I'm an announcer at a racetrack. That's pretty cool. Uh, but, I, you know, <laughs> I have a day job like everybody else. Um, but but I understand, and, and I think that that's something where I'm so privileged to be behind this mic with my friends that they don't judge me and accept me for who I am. Because 99% of the time, I am the guy uh, that's got too much to say. So to find that 1% time where I, I, I had trouble communicating, um, I, I felt like I let my team down. I felt like I let uh, let our listeners down, and I just wanted to give my sincerest apologies. So most would say, Chris, you don't have to apologize. I still felt it in my heart to discuss it today, and so I dedicated my five to ten minute rant on if you're if you're going through something, 
find the network of friends that you can trust and rely on. Because I could have, I could have just completely thrown it off and never went back to it. But instead, I was, I was willing to share it with my team so that they had a better understanding of me, so that they wouldn't think that I was just letting them down. And I think that so many times, you know, um, if I had just spoke out earlier and said, look, you know, I called the job and said, hey, you know, I'm dealing with this loss and I'm probably not going to be able to make it work for a few days because I'm, I'm having a tough time dealing with it. I would have probably kept that job. Or I called that friend and said, hey, friend, I know I've been disassociated, um, but I'm going through some things. And, and I know that in this time I'm supposed to reach out, but, it's, but, but, it, but I can't because I have a hard time dealing with it. And, and, you know, if you can just somehow reach out to those that you love or those that are, you know, your support staff or your friends, I guarantee you, you'll get the same response and the same love and compassion that I got. Um, and, and, and that's probably the quickest, easiest form of healing that there is. And I, without further ado, without dragging us on any further, because one thing I think my teammates know is I don't really like to get into the personal life. I really, I feel like we all have a personal life. We all have uh, distractions. We all have things pulling us one way or the other. But we do try to come together in this show, and we bring the content of racing and all the whatnots that have to do in the motor sports world. But this is that one moment where it's okay to share a little bit of something about myself and a little bit something about my teammates. They, they have the opportunity. They have the stage. They have this platform. They can do the same thing. And uh, I, without further ado, I want to bring those teammates on. I want to bring on Miss Lee. I want to bring on Paz Taylor. Um, how, how are you guys doing today? Sorry I had to, you know, I, I'm, in the awkward, I'm in the awkward feeling right now. Of course, I need a hug. Uh, because uh, well, it's, really, it's all good. It's, naughty, it's, it's all good, Chris. <laughs> it's all good, Chris, and and I'm sending you virtual hugs because we've all been there. Y'all, you all know what I've been through the past year, and you guys have been there for me. So it's all good. Yeah, we're all human. We are. We are, and we all have, as I said, things pulling us in one direction and the other. Um, and uh, just uh, uh, it's a privilege to sit here amongst my friends and colleagues and uh, discuss uh, great racing. As most of you seen, I was at Talladega Sunday. Uh, you know, the week uh, turned out to, it ended a lot better than it started. <laughs> um, it was an amazing race, and I heard a lot of complaints. There was no big one. There was no. It was a, It was a boring race. Let me tell you. Uh, very rarely do my wife and I sit in the stands for the entirety of the race. Uh, most of the time we get up and down, we go get something to eat, we go to the bathroom, we go smoke. You know, I don't smoke cigarettes anymore, but I've been going there since 2010. So, you know, for uh, 10 years I did go and, you know, leave the bleachers to go smoke. Uh, I do have a vape, so I didn't really have to uh, vape a marijuana vape. I'm sorry, let me, let me, let me emphasize. I have a THC vape. Um, and so I was actually able to, you know, participate with that there in the stands. Nobody really gave a darn. And I appreciate that. Uh, but uh, the race was so good that I literally didn't want to leave my seat. Like, I was on the edge of the seat the entirety of the race. 70 lead changes, man. It was like every time they come back around, somebody else is leading the race. Um, and, and this is where I want to start out with tonight. 
Uh, Miss Lee, uh, Taz Taylor. I haven't heard Taz's voice yet. Taz, is the tornado there? You got me. All right. Good deal. Good deal. Well, this is where I want to start out tonight. Um, was it or wasn't I, I? I was in the stands. I thought it was a great race. I did. I didn't need the big one. Like, uh, But I guess some people felt like it was. I didn't see the Jeff Buck poll, so I don't know what that is. Uh, but maybe Taz Taylor can get there. Miss Lee, how, what did you think of the race? I mean, was it an exciting event from the seat of the couch, or uh, was it quite boring? Because what I, the view that I got to see, three wide racing uh, from front to rear, two seconds in between first and 35th, I, I mean, I thought it was a great race. Yeah, no, I, th- I thought it was a good race, too. You know, like you said, all the lead changes, that right there makes for good racing, you know, and, and the different penalties and people coming back from them and, you know, it, it, there was definitely plenty of excitement. You know, you hit a, you hit a big one right there. And that's something that I did not put on the list here tonight to talk about, but if this isn't Denny Hamlin's championship season, I don't know what is, right? I mean, this guy has overcome. He's, he was, he was a lap down. I couldn't believe the cheers. <clears throat> First of all, you know, a green flag pit stop. Here comes uh, uh, Denny Hamlin down pit row. Next thing you know, I'm like hearing a bunch of cheers. I look up at the screen, Denny Hamlin penalized speeding on pit row. I said, whoa, what is going on there? You know, the fans were literally cheering uh, because Denny went a lap down. Wow. That's not how it ended for him. That's not how it ended for him. Huh? All those cheers, man. Look, I've seen it before. I've seen it. You know, a guy's just in it. And Denny Hamlin can't seem to make a mistake right now. Uh, even when he makes a mistake, he still recovers. Uh, Taz, what did you think about the race? Did you watch it on TV? Yeah, I did. And uh, let me tell you, that was that was quite intense. Uh, the fact that Denny Hamlin was literally in the mix with the leaders just to try to either get his lap back or make sure he was the first car one lap down. Um, I mean, even at one point when he was in that mix towards the end, I think it was either at the end of a yellow or at the end of the stage, uh, somebody else beat him to him by literally a car length. Um, The fact that there was different leaders, different uh, stage winners. um, I mean, Ryan Blaney won the first stage. And then... Brad Keselowski, who had no, who was nowhere to be found in the top ten of the first stage, uh, ended up winning stage two. And then, um, of course, I don't think we, I don't think the, um, I don't think there was really a true big one. Well, right at the end. Yeah, there the end. It I took mean, them a, a there, little while too to. Uh, I feel like get that I feel down. like it was kind of. I feel like it was kind of a big accident, but it wasn't like a true like regular big one, if you know what I mean. Like seeing like twenty, thirty. Uh, I want to say thirty, but like twenty car pile up, you know. Right. Right. Yeah, but, but but what we did see was three wide racing. And something that I heard on Monday 
that I was kind of like, really? Like, what, what are they talking about? So my understanding is most of the race, they were only running 50 to 70% throttle. Um, they were actually throttling back uh, on, uh, uh, you know, instead of uh, full steam ahead. And that was kind of creating the three wide uh, going on out on the racetrack, the three wide uh, lanes. So, um, what they were saying was they were actually holding back conserving gas, which typically, like around lap 31, I was like, okay, these guys are going to come into pit, right, uh, for the first set of green flag pit stops. You know, look, we've been racing 30 laps. It's lap 31. I was like, boys, watch the poles, watch the poles. They'll, you know, they'll hang their little little signs out, and that's how you know that uh, they're going to come around the pit. Uh, well, we got all the way to lap 37, and I was like, whoa, like, what's going on here? You know, that's typically, you know, stretching it out a little bit further uh, than what we would normally see. But, you know, I was trying to, you know, I was like, hey, okay, this is a different strategy that they're running or something to that. But obviously what it was was uh, they were, you know, they were they were conserving uh, gas mileage by not being full throttle. As you've seen, Brad Keselowski and uh, I believe it was Joey Logano at the time, that when they were leading the field, uh, Brad would uh, – Stick up to Joey Logano's rear bumper, and then he would kind of just fall back a little bit, and he'd fall back and he'd push the field back a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, and the next thing you know, Kierkegaard would get ahead of steam and he'd go right back up to uh, the rear bumper of Joey. I thought it shake and bake all day. I did. I was like, hey, hey, you know, this is Keselowski, man. He knows he's got to stay up in second and uh, second or third in order to stay out of the big one or stay out of uh, you know the the, the mess. And unfortunately, before the evening was out, he was the mess. So um, that's just the way it goes sometimes. But uh, uh, definitely, it was a lot of strategy in how they were racing the racetrack. Uh, Talladega, when we first started going uh, 14 years ago, was a brand-new, fresh repave. Uh, the track's got a little bit of seasoning in it now. It's, it's definitely not the uh, same wide-open racetrack uh, that it has been in years past. I did notice that the cars were slicking up. Um, you know, without the y'all, you can see really uh, when the track kind of starts to get slick and hot, uh, the cars will jump out a little bit more than what uh, you've seen it specifically in the truck race, I think, the day before, uh, of, of trucks just, you know, slipping up. I mean, you know, coming out of the corner wide open and, and the ass in sliding out. So, um uh, didn't see so much of that, uh, but, uh, I mean, there again, if they were only running 50 to 70% throttle uh, through most of the race, that would be the reason why. So, uh, I think they gave the fans the greatest race all year. Like, uh, as far as uh, super speedway racing, we had three wide racing. We had uh, battles for the lead. We had guys who were able to move through the field for position. And that's what we typically expect of super speedway racing. Uh, you know, I, I, we've said it before that this car doesn't necessarily fit some of the racetracks that we go to. Uh, but I think they're on to something here uh, with the speedway stuff. And it was really nice to see, like, the, the manufacturers not really give a damn who they did with. Uh, I feel like that was, once again, also another change in strategy um, that uh, was kind of refreshing. Uh, Miss Pete, do you have anything to add to that? No, I I think you hit all the highlights. And, yeah, it wasn't interesting to see 
the different manufacturing manufacturers pairing up, um, you know, at different points in the race. Right, right. Yeah, Taylor. I think Taz is wrangling a bunny. (laughs) What was that? Well, it's an open discussion. Basically, we're just discussing the race right now. We haven't made it to the topics yet, uh, but we are discussing the things that we saw. So, of course, I probably am, you know, a little bit more view of uh, a little bit different view of the race. Uh, I've probably seen a few things that you guys didn't see. So, I, I feel like I've already brought that to the table there. Um, any, from the race, what do you have? I mean, uh, do you have anything that you uh, that you noticed, or you know, uh, like we said, you know, different strategies, uh, different manufacturers working with each other? Uh, the gas can incident—that was crazy. Like I, I don't remember the last time that I've seen a gas can explode on pit road. Um, I was looking down pit row at the time because we were right there, guys. I mean, it was beautiful. We were in the most awesome section uh, uh, of the facility. And, uh, you know, here I am. I'm looking down pit row. I'm looking where Denny Hamlin is. And next thing you know, uh, there, there's this big ball of fire, like, right there in front of us. And, uh, of course, that it took the replay to find out. Yeah, it took the replay to find out that that was Ty again. There was one thing I did catch. It was more towards the end of the race. Um, where it was like the Hendrick cars all pushing like one, two, three, four, or maybe it was three out of the four. But I do remember um, Larson and Elliot being in the same line, and they had William Byron um, behind them. And when it came to uh, when it came to staying with your teammates or switching lanes, I remember I think it was Dale Jr. and Jeff Burton making the call where Byron. Uh, basically left those two in the dust so he could go on to win, or, or at least try to win anyway, uh, which it blew my mind. And I know in the commentator they mentioned it too on the broadcast. They said it shocked them thinking, you know, Byron would, Byron would try to help uh, teammates or whatever, but apparently at that moment in time he didn't care. But it wasn't it wasn't one of those, like, last lap type of things. I think there was about a handful of laps left to go. So he had plenty of time to make move. But I thought that part where he made the move was a little early. That's interesting that you talked about that because one – go ahead, Miss Lee. I was just going to say, and and then again, we had, um, you know, the the fact surfaced that there's uh, no love loss between Larson and Elliott. <laughs> right. So uh, one of the strategies that I seen was but Brad, Brad, Brad Keselowski had many opportunities to run with Chris Busher, but instead opted to run with his old teammate Joey Logano. Now let me ask you guys something: Was that smart? A smart strategy from a two-man team, a two-two team, two-race car team, uh, being that. Talladega has a tendency to bundling everybody up. Um, was that a good strategy to make sure that you were sticking around to the end? Obviously, him and Busher uh, may have wrecked each other, I believe, at the July race or the uh, July race, the uh, the Daytona race. I believe it was in September or something for that. Um, anyway, I, so I, that was the one thing I noticed that those two guys were not working yet together. They had opportunity to, but they didn't. 
what are your thoughts on that strategy, uh, Ms. Lee? Well, who has who does Brad have more experience racing with? Exactly. Exactly. You know, so I in that that strategy did not surprise me at all. Right, because of who it, who he was running with. Exactly. That that was my that was my thought as well. Taz, oh, what's your thought? <clears throat> yeah, I like the Logano BK strategy. I mean, I know those those two worked together for the longest time. I know that the both of them have. Uh, good super speedway racing knowledge and know how to get the job done. It was, I think they both saw it as um, regardless of what team they race for or where they are in their racing careers, they know that they're part of the Ford family. They both are, you know, I guess you can say friends. I don't think Brad would have left Penske or any of the drivers over there on any sort of bad terms at all. So to see that um, connection work out well is good. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, you know, no no offense against Bush or anything. I believe it was a, a, a well-played strategy to make sure one of the cars uh, was going to be around at the end. We've often seen teammates run together and then get caught up together uh, in somebody exactly. else's incident. We've seen front row we see front row motorsports, uh, the top three positions. Like, that was a uh, – Ford had a really good outing at Talladega. No big surprise there. Roush Yates uh, motors, um, uh, you know, they were dominant all day long. Uh, just uh, not able uh, – well, I guess, yeah, in the end, they they, 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 they reigned victory. Ron Blaney, three wins, Talladega – uh, I, I, I once again open mouth insert foot. They had a little thing on Ryan Blaney, and I was like, "Yeah, the guy just needs to get more wins. He needs to not worry about being all pretty all the time, and worry about getting some wins." And then he goes out there and wins the damn race. So, uh, you know, three wins at Talladega. That's uh, that's you know, he's proved himself as a super speedway racer. What do you guys thoughts on Ryan Blaney's success there at uh, at the old Talladega? Notice how those three wins are photo finish or photo finish uh yeah, wins too. That. I have seen that. Yes I have. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh all three, twenty nineteen, twenty twenty, and twenty twenty three. So uh, it's been three years since he's won at the at Talladega, but um uh, definitely uh yeah, the kid showed that uh he can uh he went a, a, a super speedway race. Is it is it Ryan Blaney or is it Penske? Uh, I mean, obviously Penske. You had Brett Keselowski there, who was very dominant. Uh, Joey Logano, who's been very dominant. Um, Ryan Blaney. Is it Penske or is it is it Talent? Which which is it, Tess? Part of me thinks it's a mixture of both only because I mean look at look at Brad with a lot of his speedway wins he, um, he did that through Penske I mean I can't really say 
much of anything outside of the Penske deal because we haven't really seen much of Brad outside of the Penske deal. I per um, in recent years, um, Logano does like I said earlier. Logano does well in super speedways. Ryan Blaney starting to come through, so I'm thinking it's a mix. It's a mixture of the driver and the team itself. And uh, I know with, but I know with how I'm sure Brad and Logano uh, through the short amount of time Blaney was with Brad anyways, I'm sure those two being in the sport a little bit longer than Ryan has, I'm sure they've uh, helped Ryan Blaney out and give pointers. I mean, you definitely got to say Brad knows knows something about super speedway races because, I mean, obviously look at him and Chris Buescher. Right, but that that could also lend a little credence to why Brad chose to work with Joey so closely, knowing that Penske is so good at Talladega and super speedways. Right. right. Yeah, and I think it's Roush H. Indians, too, uh, obviously. Uh, Kevin Harvick finished second. Uh, but that's not what the um, final results say. Uh, of course, he was sent to Dairy Queen without sprinkles. Um, and that's a crock, too. Yeah, why Why was NASCAR looking at bolts on a windshield? That, that's what That's what I want to know. Uh, who, who, who in the garage felt the need to rat on Kevin Harvick, right? I mean, obviously, well, maybe NASCAR checks to see if bolts have shimmied themselves out of windshields before. But most of the time in these types of situations, when it's detailed um, like that, and it's, it, you know, most of the time it's somebody snitched on him. Um, of course, well, they, they vehemently denied that this was even um, something done for uh, um, to gain speed. But, uh, and, you know, and why would NASCAR be checking that? That's what I said from the get-go. <clears throat> that is something that could very well have shimmied loose during racing. So, and me as a non-driver, a non-car person can see that and say that. It was petty, and and I'm pissed at NASCAR about that. I think with with the windshield deal, in my opinion, it could affect it could affect the airflow to the car in an aerodynamic kind of way, um, maybe to help with the downforce if the air sneaks in somehow, some weird, odd way, who only knows. But I, I don't know, I person, but in a way, too, I could see it being a safety factor, too, because say if the windshield, say if those, depending on how loose they, they were, I mean, if they were like loose as a goose and they could come off within like two laps. That wind, who knows where that windshield could have went. That thing could have been flying and be a safety hazard. 
Right. Okay, I can I can see the safety aspect of it. Okay, I, I'll give you that. Okay. But still, like I said, that's something that could have very well shimmied loose during the racing. Did they check everybody else's windshields as well? That's right. what I'd like. I mean, that's what I want to know. Well, me too. Exactly. If it's, uh, if it's, if it's anything, if it's anything like. Um, any other racing, normally uh, they would check. I don't know what NASCAR's rules are, but I know for most places they they basically do full on tech for like the for like what Chris like top five finishers normally, and then they'll select yeah, like one or two, yeah. like one or two yeah, random three and then two. Yeah, and then um, and with NASCAR, and you know with if you guys, I don't know if you, I'm sure you guys have seen it, but um, you know, when they go through the pre-tech, they have like that big old electronic scanner type thing that I'm sure picks up any little nitpick detail. And that's where they do their post-race tech. And I wouldn't be surprised if their neat little detailed computer catches that little nonsense of a thing. Yeah. I just think that it was totally wrong of NASCAR to nitpick on something like that. In Kevin Harvick's last year and deprive him of one of his better finishes, you know? Well, a good question was asked. Do you think if Kevin Harvick would have won that race if they would have DQ'd him? And I thought that was an interesting question. Well, I mean, I we mean, would hope that they would, right? I mean, was one rule be, you know, I mean, why would the rule waver if he won the race, right? Um, but, uh, you know, look, they've messed around with his window before. They messed with the back glass a time or two. You know, Harvey, Rodney Childers is always just the issue. Um, you know, would we rather see a DQ or a 100,000 point? A hundred point fine with $100,000. I mean, a hundred point. Reduction with a $100,000 fine is what I'm trying to say. Sorry. I don't know. I think it sends a message to other teams, obviously. Well, yeah, and and Rodney's old school. So there is that bit that you can't rule out that they weren't trying to push the limit a little bit. But I, I, I still, I still hold to my statement that, you know, this is something that could have shimmied loose in racing, and that's it. What? Well, we're, while we're on the discussion of DQ and fines, obviously some fines were levied this week off of an incident that happened during the Truck Series race. Um, I don't know if you guys were able to watch the Truck Series race. I did watch it. It was a pretty good race. Um, I was surprised when all the media attention started flowing to this uh, video uh, that seemed pretty graphic. A lot of blood was on uh, Nick Sanchez's face, uh, screaming, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. Homestead is your last race. Um, of course, Daniel Trotta comes on on her absolute self. And, you know, look, I enjoy 
on Daniel Trotter, and I enjoy Larry Mack, and Larry has uh, moments where he gets up on his high horse, and, you know, look, maybe I've learned a few things from Larry uh, and and how to uh, conduct those types of uh, 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 commentating uh, broadcasting skills when I'm really trying to get my point across. Uh, But Daniel Trotter went on this long rant how, you know, it's unacceptable uh, obviously, it was rumored that uh, Matt Crafton had changed his street clothes, waited 45 minutes after the race was over or something to that effect. And when Nick Sanchez passed by him in the garage, he stepped out from a tire or something, tapped him on his back and sucker punched him in the nose. And, how, and that was just unacceptable. And Nick Sanchez was unacceptable for saying that he was going to kill somebody in the heat of the moment. Um, I would like to have your, your guys, uh, I would like to know what you guys feel about that. I mean, was it, was it, uh, was it as egregious as what everybody, and what Daniel Trotter's making it to be? Is it just part of racing? Uh, were words just words, obviously? Just, uh, you know, people were trying to say, oh, it's such a black eye on the sport. Like, she said people called her and was like, is that from other sports? It was like, is that really how y'all conduct yourself in NASCAR? Um, look, uh, I'm not sure. Maybe Matt Crafton was wrong for sucker punching him. Uh, of course, that's not the story that Matt Crafton has. So, you know, there's two sides, three sides to the story. The truth, uh, his story, his story, his story, and the truth. Uh, the, 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 it's somewhere between there. Uh, what do you guys thought? I'll start with you. Yeah, Miss Ray, go I ahead. Saw some, I saw somewhere where somebody's mom got involved or something. I, I didn't, I couldn't yeah, the, read the, the dad, whole article. Yeah. The dad got but, his hard card pulled. Uh, Nick Sanchez's father got his hard card, pulled, hard card pulled for getting into an altercation with a pit crew member. This is not anything that's new. Tom Logano can tell you real quick. If you get involved in race team stuff, you're gonna get, you're gonna get kicked the hell out. Okay, they're gonna they, they're just right. not gonna stand for that. Let your child let your child be a grown ass man and fight his own fights. Okay, that's what NASCAR is trying to say. Um, uh, but uh, you know now, Mr. Sanchez knows. Look, you you stay out of that shit. Um, what else? I don't know. I missed the fight. I haven't seen any any of the statements that that Sanchez might have made. Um, I did oh, read Matt Crafton's, um, <laughs> but I will say that Outkick had a big article about it, and the main oh. takeaway from that article was that the author had never heard of Nick Sanchez, didn't know who he was, and he said he's scared of him now. So, for what that's worth. He's scared of him? Wow. Uh, Clay, Clay, what's his name? Clay Travis? Clay Travis, yeah. It wasn't wasn't Clay, though. Clay Clay oh, okay. wasn't the author of the article, though. Okay, okay, okay. Well, I remember Clay back when he had the morning show and Outkick the coverage, and I believe Fox Sports bought Outkick, so 
Um, I, I think Clay's still affiliated with it. He does a, you know, Clay went from the sports world to taking over uh, the uh, radio spot from Rush Limbaugh with another right. uh, daytime commentator. So Clay's kind of, you know, not really as much in the sports world, and I believe he sold part of Outkick. Uh, but that's, that's yeah. almost crazy to believe that somebody, you know, obviously Nick Sanchez, anybody who's followed racing and followed late model racing and ARCA racing, they should know who Nick Sanchez is. Uh, he's he's not new to the game. He's a, a very uh, good up-and-coming racer. Um, you know, yeah, uh, but, of course, Matt Crafton, what, you know, that guy. But look, at, forever look old. at the damn kid. Look at the damn kid. Who'd be scared of him? He's a baby face. Right. I'd be more scared of Matt Crafton. Right. He's a silent killer. He's the one that'll go put on regular street clothes. Like, in the fight, I'm trying to pick out who's fighting. And obviously, I didn't realize that Matt Crafton was in street clothes. I feel like you're. I feel like you're ready to jump in on this one real quick, uh, Taz Taylor. What are you holding there, buddy? The the thing with the Nick Sanchez Matt Crafton deal is that, as you mentioned, Chris, there's two different sides of this story. Nothing aligns up, so they have to. So not only does NASCAR have to look into their side, but they have to find where the middle people are, like the actual eyewitnesses. And nobody, and I'm not saying that it has to be out there, but nobody's saying who the eyewitnesses were. The only eyewitness I know that was that was mentioned was Nick Sanchez's PR and Corey Roper, but Corey Roper said he has no idea how it even started. <laughs> um, he was just kind of there to get Nick Sanchez away. But... I look back at the incident that they both had. Um, I honestly thought it was more of a racing deal. Um, If there was really to put blame on one driver more than the other, probably Sanchez. Being that Sanchez was, it looked like Sanchez was trying to put his nose in a very tight little spot that probably would never work no matter what track you're at. Um, But it also looked like Crafton did come down a bit, but I don't know if that was because of him trying to block Sanchez or if the um, how the air just kind of worked with the with the aerodynamics type deal. I don't like I said, it looked more of a racing deal, but if we're gonna put if I had to put blame on one driver more than the other, probably a little bit more on Nick Sanchez. And we do have to emphasize the fact that when NASCAR looks back on this situation, um, they did uh, suspensions were on the table. Uh, they were talking about suspending the both of them. They were so it wasn't like they were just like um, they were just like, well, the fight happened. We have two different sides. We're just going to find them. No, they literally took a lot of time into this. And Elton Sawyer. I believe that's his name, did say that they looked at a lot of things and suspensions were in the in the conversation of all this happening, so Well, it's good that it didn't because Sanchez is in a battle for a championship and you don't want to see a guy uh get into a fisticuff and uh not be able to compete in a championship. I believe it was handled in the right way. I believe that I'd rather see this handled uh, in the garage area, or uh, then, then two guys going out and trying to mangle up some race cars, 
Um, there's nothing wrong with a little pee and passion every now and then. If Crafton pulled a sucker shot on him, um, you know, that's, that's something that Crafton's going to have to live with uh, because you want to fight somebody straight up, man up. Um, but at the same time, you know, um, I'm sure for whatever reason, Crafton was sick of Sanchez's shit, and that's what created exactly. this issue. Um, and, and, you know, is Crafton, I guess my next question is, is Crafton now the old grumpy guy? Is, is he going to? Is he going to be, you know, remember Johnny Sauter's exit? Remember it wasn't – it was Johnny Sauter didn't leave the sport quietly. He, he literally fought everybody before he left. Um, is, this, is this what we're seeing out of Crafton, another lifelong uh, truck series driver? Uh, has he worn out his welcome in the truck series? And uh, I'll start with you, Ted. Um. I don't know. I feel like Crafton's kind of coming to the end of his career at this point. It's basically, he, I don't really want to say he's in the same boat as Truex, but I I would put him, I would put him uh, along that kind of line. Like it's only a matter of time. Miss Lee. Well, first and Did foremost, he become the Karen of of the truck series. Yeah. Well, first and foremost, you need to remember, Nick Sanchez is young, and he is a very aggressive driver. He's not had the time to mature and finesse. So, Matt Crafton is not the first person he's pissed off. Mm Mm-hmm. So there's that to consider. Um, I kind of agree with Taz. You know, Matt's been around a while, and he's not been so successful in recent years. And maybe he is reaching the end of his driving end of his career. One thing I'll remember Matt Crafton for is winning a championship without winning a race. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, there's that. So, you know, I I like Matt, but, yeah, maybe it's, you know, maybe it's time for him to start looking you know, to to what other aspects in the garage that he could do. You know, I, I've got children that uh, have never known a single truck race without Matt Grafton, and, and, and he's been around forever. So um, I think comparing him to Johnny Sauter is very similar. It, you know, it's this, it's really Mother Nature saying, it's your time, right? It's you know, if it if it means that you have to act like this in order to because in a way I kind of I kind of feel like he probably did sucker punch him. You know, in a way I feel that maybe Sanchez is is not lying with that. And because that's probably the reason why the dad got into it as well. Uh but um you know, there there's probably some truth into that. Uh, you know, Crafton was obviously pissed off 
Uh, but this is, you know, grumpy old men. I mean, it's what we get when we get that age. We, we don't, we're not going to put up with that, that young, young man, man shit. And the truth is, most of it's because we're just jealous that we're older now and they're getting more opportunities than what we are. Sanchez is probably going to be a pretty good, huh? Get off my the older lawn. people here. Yeah, they get off my lawn. Yeah, exactly. So, but remember, Matt Crafton, you're you've, you've made a career uh, in a series that's made for up and coming talent. Now, I'm not sure that that's where that series was when Matt Crafton first started, because in those days we had a lot of Rick Crawfords and Jack Sprague's and Mike Skinner's and uh, you know the guys that uh, were you know lifers in the lower series. Uh, the Ted Musgraves and the Johnny Bensons and whatnot. But, uh, you know, um, I believe the Chuck series was really a, a series created for the retirement boys uh, in the beginning, and it just turned into, um, over the years, uh, a pool for talent. Uh, but, uh, you know, look, if Crafton called it quits in the next year or so, I don't think I would be surprised. It's probably not going to be him to make that call. It's probably going to have to be on Thor Sport to uh, uh, not renew his contract. But, um, you know, we'll see how that goes. But I love I love storylines. I love people getting into it with each other. I think that uh, that's all about racing, and I'm glad NASCAR didn't go. Now, if they had used their race cars to put somebody in the wall at a place like Talladega, and hurt somebody, I, you know, look, I, I would be all for uh, suspensions. But this was handled down in the garage, and some people didn't like the way it was handled. But there again, I don't see a need for suspension, especially over the words, I'll kill you if you got sucker punched in the face. Um, also, other news uh, from the Truck Series race, I believe Stuart Friesen and uh, the other driver involved in the wreck, they were both, both of them suffered uh, significant injuries in that crash. One of them had a broke vertebrae, and I believe Stuart Friesen has an injury to his L2 and L3. Um, uh, I suffered L2 and L3 injury as well. It's no, yes, it, so. you know, it's no. It's no walk in the park. It, it literally will constrict the way that you walk and move and maneuver, and it creates difficulty in bending, and it also creates difficulty um, in, in uh, 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 the ability to to move. Like you, it obviously restricts a lot of leg movement and stuff. So how bad he may be, uh, how bad the uh, the injury may be, he didn't really disclose. Maybe you know a little bit more about it, Pat. So, I'm not sure on the other driver. I haven't um, seen the updates come across on that or haven't really looked into it as much as the Stuart Friesen deal, but um, Friesen, who was involved in the accident, obviously went to the local medical facility after getting checked in the infield care center for further evaluation. Um, he was released uh, that night at around midnight. Um, didn't really update in terms of injuries and stuff like that up until this morning uh, because he's planning on running Super Dirt Week up here in New York that is actually coming up 
that is actually happening as of, I guess you can technically say today. Um, but this is coming from Stuart Friesen. He even did a live video on his account too. But this says, this says, after consulting with my family and doctors, we are going to give it a shot for Super Dirt Week this weekend at Oswego Speedway. The pain and area most affected from Talladega is the L2 and L3 region of my lower back. Stewart also says we are going to practice the number 44 modified on Wednesday. Consult with the doctor each day and take it from there. Thank you to everyone for their concern and support the past few days. It has meant a lot to myself and the team. See you on Oswego. Stewart does have a backup plan in the case um, he cannot say run one of these Super Dirt Week races this week. Uh, his wife Jessica will be piloting in suit, so there is so there is a backup plan um, with his dirt modified team. But do I, in my personal opinion, if I were Stewie, I wouldn't even try it. Just you know, only because because I mean that's part of your vertebrae, and if you mess something up, that's gonna that could be a long-term injury. And especially if you're going to go out racing. Um, I, I mean, I know Oswego has had crappy service or has a, has had a crappy surface um, in the last or in most recent years. Um, I know that in a, if he plans on, I think he's planning on running both the 358, 150 lapper, and the big block modified 200 lappers, um, that's 350 laps to try to run for. And a lot can happen in those 350 laps. And where if he gets caught up in a wreck and messes something up in those areas, that could be a long-term injury. I wouldn't chance it. Yeah, he's a race car driver, you know. Uh, that's... I think there's need to be, you know there always needs to be somebody in place that doesn't allow you to make that decision right. Um, we don't allow a boxer to decide when the boxing match is over. Um, I've always felt like this is a a, a a major move. And of course, maybe in you know maybe he would have gotten cleared to drive, drive a NASCAR. I'm sure he would have over you know a back injury, depending on the complication of it. Um, sounds like it's some bruising, but anytime you're dealing with the letters, the L and the, the vertebrae and stuff like that, um, and those are always serious injuries. Um, it's not something to play with. So, uh, you know, he's dealing, you know, come down the road when he can't get out of the bed or the doctor tells him, you know, you, you so much as slip up and fall off your bed, you might uh, be paralyzed the rest of your life. Uh, those are things that he's going to have to deal with later on. Um, as a nurse, my advice to him would be to say, sit it out. Let Jess run it. Well, uh, there's been some uh, big news. Uh, the schedule release. Of course, we're going to get to the big news. I know what the big news is. It was first on the list. We're gonna. We're not going to cover it just yet because I feel like what's happened this what? week 
has a lot of different implications, and we just we may not even understand what's really going on right now, but I can't wait to talk about it. But first, let's cover the schedule release. Anybody surprised uh, about the addition to Iowa? This is a NASCAR-owned facility. Uh, this track was built uh, by Roger Pinsky, I believe. Rusty Wallace maybe had something uh, to do with the design here at the Iowa racetrack. Um, any surprise that Iowa was the recipient of the California date and that it's going to be run on Father's Day? What are you guys' thoughts on that? I'll start with you, Ms. Lee. I actually have not looked at the schedule. Um, yeah, it's not been released but, yet. We're just getting bits and pieces of it. Okay. Comes out tomorrow. So what California race is getting next? Uh, uh, the, I believe uh, Auto Speed one. I think the Auto Club yeah. one is getting the boot because they're working on tra- making that a short track. Mm. It'll never happen. I don't know. I never cared much for Auto Club, so I'm okay with that. Iowa is a short track, though, isn't it? Well, it's considered a short track, I guess. It's it's a mile. It's what a mile and a quarter or something. Oh, I thought it? it was. I thought it was like just short of a mile, kind of like a New Hampshire sort of deal. Okay, I do like. It. I know IndyCar race there. Seven eighths of a mile. Seven-eighths of a mile, so, I, I mean, I guess you can technically say it is a short track. Okay, I thought so. Because uh, I think our Arca's raced there in the past. That's why I, I know what Trinity has. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Never, never has a cup race. race. short track. Never has a cup well, race race there. They had the, the option between Iowa or Kentucky. Miss Lee, I know, I know what you would say. Is it fair uh, that they replaced, um, you know, a, a West Coast race with a place that's similar to the West Coast, or would you? I know you would have probably preferred to see Kentucky brought back. Oh yeah, I definitely would have liked to have seen Kentucky come back. You know, that's one one of the closest closer tracks to my house, and I love the racing there. It's a mile and a half, but you know. It was it was always good racing. Um, yeah, Iowa's one of those tracks I guess I'll never get to. So, <laughs> but adding another short track versus a boring road course, I'm I'm okay with that. What about you, Chad? And you know I love road courses. Amen. So, yes. before so before we get a rundown on this. Um, I think if with NASCAR adding Iowa, I like that we're getting a new track. Um, I think NASCAR, with them trying to putting some kind of new flavor into the schedule each year. And that's a new demographic, too. Don't forget, guys. I mean, yeah, as I mentioned, the Xfinity series, um, and I think the trucks, series is there too I'm not fully sure but at least NASCAR is sitting here at least trying to put something new on the schedule each and every year as they have been for the last few years 
and I give them props for for at least trying because if you don't because if you don't try then you're not getting much reaction or feedback of what's going on, you know? So right now the confirmed dates as we speak with the NASCAR schedule um, that have been announced is February 4th with the Cup Series uh, Clash at the Coliseum. Uh, And then February 15th through the 18th is our Daytona Speed Week, starting with the Duels, the Truck Series, the Xfinity Series, and then the Daytona 500 on the 18th. Um, Then the next confirmed date, we don't know, all the way down to May, the weekend of May 18th and 19th, which is where the Truck Series and the NASCAR Cup Series All-Star Race returning back to North Wilkesboro. Um, Right now, nothing fully confirmed on the May 24th through 26th weekend other than the Coca-Cola 600 on May 26th. That's at, of course, Charlotte Motor Speedway. Then the weekend of uh, June 15th and 16th is what we just began to talk about. Um, Xfinity and Cup Series racing at Iowa. The next one on that, the next confirmed uh, deal is Xfinity and Cup Series returning to the Chicago Street Race. Um, the next confirmed date is uh, Indianapolis Motor Thank Speedway, God. the weekend of July 20th and 21st. That is and crazy. And it's the return of the free in Indianapolis in the, the return of July. June, and also whatever, the, July. In the return of the Sorry. Brickyard 400, we get to run back on the Oval and not on the stupid road course. But nobody's going to be there because it's going to be too damn hot. Exactly. The hottest time of the year, but it's such an iconic race. It's an iconic Glad race. And That's it's also the, celebrating a milestone at the track, too. I I don't remember what the milestone was. You know, that's I know that's the only race my neighbor is. ever goes to, is the Brickyard 400. He's a diehard NASCAR fan, and that is the race he goes to. And then, of course... Yeah. Of course, on the schedule that's confirmed is the championship weekend, which is November 1st through the 3rd at Phoenix. Um, obviously, more uh, details will come out, at, I'm assuming, very soon. Um, one thing we do know, so, but there's no confirmed dates on this as well, is there is no Bristol dirt race, and, Brist- and Bristol will still have two races on the schedule, but both will be on the uh, on the asphalt, on the paved, concrete, whatever you want to call it. I'm good with okay. that. All right. So there's two things that I want to add to this. First of all, I have heard, this is only what I've heard, we'll see if there's any truth to it, that uh, Watkins Glen has been moved to a playoff race. Texas has lost a spot in the playoffs. Um and Daytona will not be the cutoff race. Uh, and that could mean that uh, 
Darling said, "Will not be run. The Southern 500 will not be run on Memorial Day weekend. So there's still a whole you mean Labor lot Day over there. There's the yeah Labor Day weekend. There's and there's also a rumor uh, that the Roval will not return. But Marcus Smith come on NASCAR radio earlier and vehemently denied that the road course that the Roval." wasn't a successful event on its own. So there's obviously some up-in-the-air questions about where uh, the Roval stands and would we really want two road courses and two super speedways in our playoff match. I'm I'm really up in the air about how all this is going to come out. And I'm still confused on how we're going to take a two-week hiatus uh, for the Olympics. So um, there is some some things I think tomorrow our job will drop um, because the schedule is going to be something that we are all not expecting to see. There's definitely significant changes. The So the Texas thing um, – in terms of Texas not being a playoff race, honestly, I don't, I'm not fully sure if that's something I personally like the idea of. I thought, I thought, I personally, I believe Texas is not a, not the greatest, has never put on a great race when there's not much meaning behind it, I guess you can say. Um, When Texas has held races that mean something, regardless if it's like an all-star race or a playoff race, I feel like Texas actually delivers. Um, In terms of Watkins Glen maybe being a playoff race, my... I can see the balance... I can see the balance a little bit um, in terms of maybe trying another wild card race into the playoffs. Uh, the and then the Southern 500. If that moves out of Labor Day weekend, I, I don't know if that is going to be real true. Southern 500. I mean no. The, you don't you don't take Darlington away from Labor Day weekend. Yeah, that, it's not really a true Southern 500 at that point. Exactly. That's like that's like Indianapolis saying, "Oh, you won it. You won the Indy 500 on the road course. You didn't really right. win the Indy 500." <laughs> yep. Yeah. No, I I, I can't. I can't see that. I can't see that one happening. And the, the, I would not be against. I would not be against the idea of Daytona not being the regular season finale, only because, I mean, yet yeah, does it create storylines going in? But at the same time, it's one of those like for drivers that are kind of like a must-win scenario. For drivers in must-win scenarios, I mean, you're just asking for more disasters. And plus, um, 
I'm sure when Craig listens to this, he might correct me on it. But if I'm not mistaken, isn't like July like one of the worst times of the year for Florida in terms of weather-wise? Yes, yes. That's the reason why it was moved because we could never seem to get in a race because it was always weather. It needs to be run at 10 o'clock in the morning on 4th of July if that's what we're going to do. Like it used to be. It used to be right at 10 o'clock in the morning on 4th of July. I mean, that's just the way it was. And the reason why they ran it at 10 o'clock in the morning was because, uh, of course, uh, as the day goes on, progresses, humidity builds up and rain comes. So, you know, basically you're done by 1 o'clock in the evening. But anyway, there's definitely uh, some changes to the schedule. Some are going to be good. Some are going to be bad. It's going to be interesting to see how the chase races uh, line up. Um, you know, if we're going to make all these changes, then let's, you know, get the uh, get Phoenix out of there as, um, you know, the place to end the chase. Um, Amen. Hamlin brought up. Denny Hamlin brought up an interesting topic last week. He said that uh, he would like to see three tracks decide the championship, not just Phoenix. What are you guys' thoughts on Denny Hamlin's comment, Miss Lee? Three tracks decide the championship. So basically another stage to the championship. Well, basically, the four drivers would go into the final three races and race for a championship that way instead of four drivers showing up uh, for the last race of the season to determine the champion. So then you're looking at having to pull back and start the whole process earlier in the season because we're not going to add any more races. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Oh, just That's change how the cutoffs are. Yeah. Right. Right. Well. Yeah, but you, you would still have to you would still have to start the whole process a couple races earlier. Right. It may not be ten races. It would may, it may have to be shorter or longer, uh, right? Depending on well, you know how or where they would uh, draw the line with three races to go. You know the elimination factor would definitely be different. I mean, I mean, I'm all for you know like uh, it is kind of silly. One race bases the championship. I, I felt like Daytona would be a good end of the year race. I loved Homestead. The reason why I feel like from Daytona to Daytona would be really good is because it, it you know, you, you you have the Daytona 500 as the beginning race of the year. Well, if you have it as the, at the end of the year as well, then if you've got these four guys who are racing for a championship, so many times we see in these other races where, you know, these the four guys running are the four guys up front, and I really believe it's because the rest of the field doesn't want to be the reason why those guys aren't racing for a championship, right? They don't want to get right. They don't want to ruin a guy's chance at a championship. Well, if you go to a place like Daytona and you put these guys in a wild card scenario, of course our championship doesn't mean much of anything, but at least 
at least, and that everybody's going to be racing uh, for a position, and they won't really give a damn who's racing for a championship. I don't feel like anyway at a place like Daytona. So um, I feel like, you know, we're missing a golden opportunity there. It, it is kind of senseless to go to a place like Phoenix, uh, a, you know, a track that can be easily figured out. In other words, it is not a track like any other place. So um, with that being said, if a team picks up on something at Phoenix that no other team can pick up, you can see three or four years of that same driver dominating, as we've seen before. Phoenix was dominated by Kevin Harvick for many years. I don't know right. why we go to Phoenix to even race a championship. The place is right. known so, to be, uh, you know, a, a, a track that, uh, you know, you can, it's like New Hampshire. When you figure it out, you've got something for a few years. Go ahead. Exactly. So, so, well, so introduce that wild card element to the very last race. I, I'm, I'm all on that. So, how that's an interesting thought process um, there, Chris. How personally for, and I know that's how you would personally do it, and um, there's nothing wrong with that at all. For me personally, I wouldn't want my championship for to come down to a super speedway race. I know that I know you're looking for an entertainment aspect, and that definitely sure would bring an entertainment aspect um, to that deal. Thank you. If it, if it were thank you, if it were if it were me on on the championship for or where the championship race is at, I would say the championship finale, kind of like the All Star race, should move to a different track each year as long as obviously you can hold that kind of capacity of a crowd because obviously championship weekend is huge mm-hmm. in my honest take i wouldn't i wouldn't put it all on a super speedway race because a lot can happen and a lot can go wrong and the championship four contender could be taken out very easily to no fault of their own Right, um, and so for me, I would which put is it better on, than seeing a bunch of guys give up position for guys who are racing for a championship. I would put it at a mile, at either one of two places, at a mile and a half that you know the racing product is good and the fans enjoy. Las Vegas, like say home, Las like Vegas. say Homestead or Las Vegas, you as you mentioned. Um. Say, for instance, Chicagoland or Kentucky, if you were to bring a track back. Now, where I'm going with this also is that for the longest time, we've always done the champion being crowded at Homestead, right? And And we've never visited Homestead the year prior. When it got moved to Phoenix, we're going to Phoenix once, and then we're coming back to it. In my honest opinion, right. the championship race, the championship race, whatever track that is, you should not be there should at be any single. point at the season before. So if it's mm-hmm. so, say, so let's say next year in twenty, this is not confirmed or rumored or anything. Just we're just using it as a as an example here, folks. Say for twenty twenty four, Las Vegas is where the championship finale is held. 
we don't race at Las Vegas at any of the previous 35 races leading up to it. Say in 2025, we have we have the championship race at say Bristol. We don't hit Bristol prior to that. Can't do that to Bristol though. I mean, no. I understand, but I'm just I'm just kind of using it as a logical as a logical sense because I feel like right. the, the champion the championship race should be a wild should be a wild card, yes. But I wouldn't go I wouldn't go the crazy whack idea that Chris came up with his madness of having it at a super speed way. But um, <laughs> but I wouldn't no, have but it you, at like, you you raise you raise a good point though, Taz. Yeah. Why not have it at a track that we don't race all year? That that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Like we don't have Chicago Land. Let's bring them back for the one race. Bring, bring back, they, back. Like yeah, they like exactly. Or or race at say a short track we don't really visit to. You know, like, a short track you know that can actually put on a gr- a good race, but. That's true. I wouldn't put it on a. I wouldn't put it on a. For me personally, I wouldn't put it on a, a big wild card like a road course, or a super speedway. And like I said, Chris has got the entertainment value for the for the super speedway idea. And by all means, have at it. But <laughs> that, that's I'm not I'm not that kind of crazy or madness. I don't have that kind of madness yet. No, I I, I fully I fully agree. That the last race of the season, yeah, someplace that's the only time we race at it. I'm good with that. All right, so let's finish the year out in Taylor with the road course. Yeah, let's finish. The, let's finish the. Let's, finish, let's have the championship finale at Indianapolis on the road course. That would be different. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't want to. End I would never. I would never do that. If our if our racing consists of mostly mile and a half speedway, then we should be finishing the year off at a mile and a half speedway because that is the typical racetrack that we race at. We shouldn't be racing at a semi-short track that you know gets reconfigured every five years. Um, you know, and just. Maybe ending in Atlanta to bring back some nostalgia. Uh, that's not a super speedway racetrack, but it's super speedway type of racing. Maybe you make Texas. I know that you have to have warm weather, right? Warm weather is an issue. So you're not going to go upstate. You're not going to go to Michigan. You're not going to go to Indianapolis. You're, you're going to go to uh, a racetrack that uh, is in warm weather. Uh, that, that, and maybe... Maybe we should do like the NFL. Maybe we should bounce it around. Maybe one year we go uh, to Homestead, the next year we go to warm weather cities and end the year with that. If that were the case, if we could bounce around uh, to those locations, similar to the way the Super Bowl does, I feel like that would uh, increase the factor of not allowing one certain driver to take an advantage uh, at a certain uh, racetrack. So, uh, I'm down with those two ideas, or three ideas that just been mentioned. I believe that uh, is an area where NASCAR can definitely improve in, and I look forward to seeing what types of changes they have in the future. Because look, I don't know about y'all, 
but I'm, I'm, I'm bored with fans. It's not even, it doesn't even, like, crack the charts or ratings. Um, you know, let, let's, let's, go to, let's go to Vegas, right? Let's put all of our chips in and go to Vegas if that's where. If we need to end it on the West Coast, let's do it in a place where we can get some real fandom going on, some real media exposure, and have our finale. What about, at, at what about Nashville Fairgrounds? My God, I mean, that would be great. Uh, typically, though, Tennessee deals with a lot of cooler weather in, in the month of November. Uh, I feel like Nashville's a Nashville's a big Nashville's a big NASCAR market or motorsports market, I should say. It and, really is, right? Yeah, now. you got. It really is. And you got, and you got the yeah, you got the super speedway. But I mean, shoot, I think it would be huge for the fairgrounds. I mean, I they gotta have the capacity for something like that. Right. Yeah. I think a lot of different ideas can be put uh, where and when we should finish the season and where at. Um, but uh, we'll leave that open for uh, another discussion as we get ready to roll into our final topic of the evening. And boy, oh boy. You know, I told y'all a couple of weeks ago, I, I know I coined the phrase, oh, something's going to happen this week that's going to make our jaws drop. I don't know where in the hell this one come from. It wasn't two weeks ago that Kyle Bush was saying that he was going to keep his truck team and he was going to retire from cup racing, racing for his own team on Braxton, gets ready to race, and blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, fired by a charter. A week later, spends another $30 million and buys KBM Motorsports. Mm-hmm. Where do I start? I mean, who was shocked, right? Uh, where's all this money coming from? It's Spire legit. Zane Smith is going to be racing for Spire. Spire's going to have Carson Osimar, Corey LaJoy, and Zane Smith all in their fleet of drivers. They are not considered a Tier 1 race team. I don't think they're considered a Tier 2 race team. But dropping $70 million in a week's time, that's a whole lot of Papa dough. Who had this on their bingo card? Raise your hand. I'm not sure me. there's one in a million not that's me. doing it right now. <laughs> not me. <laughs> not me at all. Well, Ted, you already said something, so go ahead. I know you're. Uh, you probably got your idea of what's going on here. My theory is wild and crazy. Y'all just wait because when I tell you what I think is going on, you guys are going to be like, well, I can't argue with you. You're probably wrong, Chris, but I can't argue. Should I wait or should I go? I think I'm going to wait. Go ahead, Ted. I didn't see this coming at all in the slightest bit. I will say that. Um. I guess money talks. Um, I don't. Part of me wonders where is Fire coming up with all of this? All of a sudden, um, I mean, yeah, they got yeah, they're getting Zane Smith, but Zane Smith ain't really their driver. They're only getting Zane Smith because of Trackhouse, because Trackhouse. Wants Zane Smith, but they don't really have a place to put him. I 
part of me believes Trackhouse might have something to do with this uh, Spire Motorsports deal. Um, something has to be going on because between the two teams, in my personal opinion, because Trackhouse wouldn't be sitting here saying, we signed Zane Smith, but have no ride. We wouldn't, we wouldn't be signing Shane Van Gisbergen without some sort of plan in mind. Because SVG will be running a mixture of Cup, Xfinity, and truck races. He's not running a specific full-time schedule. Um, as I mentioned, Zane Smith is signed with Trackhouse, but with no guaranteed ride, and he's going over to Spire as a loan, so he's not really racing. He's racing for Spire, but he's not really racing for Spire. He's working for Trackhouse. So part of me believes Trackhouse may have something to do with this. Um, because, like I said, SVG's running all three. Where Unless Trackhouse has links with Nice Motorsports, where else can they really throw um, SVG? Does Nice Motorsports have their plan set in stone, and they don't really have a ride for SVG? So Trackhouse had to come up with a plan B and open the door to Spire, and Spire now has a truck team. I want to know. I want to know where all of a sudden Spire's coming up with all this money. (laughs) I guess I'll wait. I mean, no, no, you're not going to get it that easy. Go ahead, Miss Lee. Obviously, there's probably more to what you were going to say. I've just got the answer for you. No, I just, you know, all of a sudden, Spire is buying stuff up. And they were, you know, they were this third-tier team, and now they've got all this stuff they bought. Where is this coming from? Are we going to run into a problem (laughs) with uh, oh God! What was what was the team a couple of years ago that had to fold because it was like a Ponzi Gen, scheme? Gen Motorsports. I, maybe that was it. I I, I no, don't. It was Solar DC, of course. That was uh, the sponsor with Ross Chastain. Um, but uh, that was you know that was a government ripoff, basically, is what that was. The Ponzi scheme yeah. in motorsports, we owed everybody. Um, it, as a matter of fact, one of the funny stories about Game Motorsports is somebody flew a helicopter and said, does Gen owe you money? Um, because we owed everybody money in the garage. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it simple for you. Gangbridge, do you guys, are you guys familiar with that? Gangbridge, is there a new sponsor for Smart Motorsports? That sponsor is specifically tied to another race team, a, a very prominent race family who has just been approved to race Formula One, FIA. In a previous media release a year ago, it was announced that Andretti Motorsports was trying to get into Formula One racing and also NASCAR. 
but nothing would be complete for the NASCAR side of things until Formula One was taken care of. Well, Formula One announced three months ago that they had given the green light to Integrity Motorsports to come into uh, ownership with uh, the FIA rules, okay? So now Gainbridge showed up on the side of the race car on Corey LaJoy. Gainbridge is a very uh, humongous billion-dollar corporation. They're tied directly to ownership and proprietors of uh, uh, the Andretti family. Um, the Andrettis are the ones behind all this money. Um, and Fire is, you know, they're, they're going about the right way to build a very competitive race team. They don't have the manufacturing support. Yes, but they literally bought KBM Motorsports to have a three-team plus truck team, three-cup three team plus a truck team garage. And uh, that facility that they had in Tennessee was just not going to be uh, sufficient. Of course, that was a facility Alan Kowicki was in and needed a lot of upgrades. They have a state-of-the-art facility uh, at KBM now, a shop to work out of. And this is, you know... This is Andretti money, y'all. This is Andretti money. And we'll see as Gingrich steps up. You know, this is great for Corey LaJoy. This is great for Carson Osuar. Uh Zane Smith may or may not be out on loan from Trackhouse. I don't know how Trackhouse is going to fill four cars all of a sudden when they can't even, you know, fill two cars, three cars. Uh, but they have four drivers under contract. So there's questions of where that money is coming from there as well. But this seems to be the whole uh, um, Spire Motorsports bill seems to be connected to Andretti Racing. Um, and that's, hmm. you know, and, and, and anybody knows, you know, uh, to make a million in NASCAR, you've got to bring a couple of billion. So um, it isn't. It's, that's interesting. But yeah, so uh, yeah, that's uh, that's where we stand right now with uh, Spire Motorsports. Of course, you know, I think a lot of us are questioning whether or not this is fraud, right? I brought up the question of how Spire Motorsports can sell, buy a charter, sell a charter, and then buy another charter for more expensive than what the previous charter that they sold for. How does that make even make business sense? It doesn't. And that kind of makes you wonder if they're not in some kind of form or way of driving up the cost of a charter with the shenanigans they seem to be playing. But all, right. all, all radar points to, all signs point to, that this is the beginning of the Andretti Motorsports coming into NASCAR. And when you're paying... $40 million for a charter. I just don't see why you couldn't build your own race team. I just don't know the sustainability of these charters and the prices that people pay. I mean, it's just unreal. Um, where do we go from here? Will we ever see Junior Motorsports make it to the, you know, now, all of a sudden, $10 million doesn't seem like that bad of a deal when Junior Motorsports first uh, thought about getting into cup racing and refused to pay $10 million for um, a charter. I, I think that, was, that could go down as the worst move Junior Motorsports ever made. 
Uh, any more thoughts on where we're at here with uh, Spire Motorsports and uh, their recent acquisition? Just announced, he's got a part, just announced he's got a partnership with Trackhouse. Come on. Uh, that's the only thing I can think of that, cl- that to me, clearly makes, makes sense. I don't know if it would make sense. If it sounds right or makes sense to any of you guys, but that's the only thing I could think of is Trackhouse has to be involved somewhere because they wouldn't get Zane Smith on loan from Trackhouse if Trackhouse didn't have a plan for that. And, right. And, and Trackhouse wouldn't have a plan for SVG if they, if they knew Neeson did not have a plan for him or they wanted a reassure or they wanted an assurement plan that SVG would have a truck ride when he's scheduled to run certain races. This could very well be SVG money, too. But, uh, you know, uh, like I said, I think we'll know a little bit more as the winter months come along. And I am not sure if the dominoes are through, are, are through falling yet as well. Obviously, we're seeing some changes going on in the dirt world. Several to the late model teams have announced that they're cutting back um, this is about the time we're about five, four years now into a recession, three and a half years for sure. Um, and uh, um, this is about the time where downsizing begins, right? So we need, a, we need another president that knows a little bit about economics to uh, get things rolling back in the right direction. But even then, it'll still be two years of, uh, you know, people making drastic economic changes as they continue to suffer uh, in this economic downfall. Um, you know, race teams are very vulnerable in these tough economic times. Um, we will see some more changes at the top of the field. Uh, that's with, that's uh, what I don't... Teams and, and, and more. That's, that's what I don't get about this whole fire thing. In this economic situation we're in right now, but I guess maybe that just shows more of the difference between the haves and the have-nots, and us all struggling day to day, but people with money are doing okay. And that's all the political comment I will make. Right. Well, I mean, it, it is, and it seems to be uh, the going rate. The rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer. Um, but what is very odd about Spire is they're supposed to be a talent agency. They're supposed to be an agency for cars. So basically they're using money that they're making off of contracts, getting contract bills, time to turn around and buy and invest into charters, which creates revenue on that side as well. It almost seems like, um, you know, the positive actually starts with the racing. I've always questioned Spire colleague and, and track out because they all seem to be intertwined with each other in some weird form or fashion. And, you know, it's kind of like which one of these guys is going to be the, the culprit, right? Which one's going to be the one that makes the dominoes fall? Um, fire and that kind of investment, you know, they do seem to be the guy with the right, with the uh, uh, with the head to have to watch there because um, you know, that's a whole lot of money being invested into a 
Question, colleague, because Chris is really seriously about racing, or or at least seems to be. But he's he he seems to be personally heavily invested um, you know, they, they try very hard. Um, and yeah, I know it costs a lot of money and it's probably costing him a lot of money personally, but, but I don't think I would put calling necessarily in that same class. Mm -hmm. I, I can respect your opinion. I do have my crazy, like out of nowhere, um, predictions. This is all. This all has to do with Braxton Bush, and it is a way to get Kyle Bush's son into Formula One racing. It was rumored uh, earlier in the year, in last year, that Keelan had an interest in Formula One racing. I believe that that interest isn't just creative work with one. I believe other drivers have similar interest into getting their children into the Europe style of racing. Um, you know, this is around the age that Chase Elliott was signed. That, uh, that, that did not that did not start with Brexton. Right. That actually started, started with Cash. Oh, Cash Boyd. Cash was the one who expressed an interest in open wheel racing. Right. And, and Wait, so there's not cash? really an American. I, I thought it was Keelan too, but I, I mean, um, Ms. Lee says it was Cash too. So, look, I, I know several of the drivers' kids have shown interest in racing in Formula One. If this is Andretti moving and making a move and buying into a sport, of course, uh, Kyle Busch said that he was staying on as an advisor to Spire. Uh, for the Trump Series team and whatnot. This could be a way that, uh, you know, hey, we're going to buy your shop and we're also going to give your kid a ride in Formula One. So uh, don't be surprised if Kyle Busch hangs his helmet up in the next two to three years and they move to Europe and Keelan starts racing Formula Three. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's got to start somewhere. So um, if we're going to get an American representation in the in open wheel racing in Formula One, the next kid right now is probably only going to be 12 or 13 years old because that's how long it's going to take to groom him to become an American badass in a European racing league. Your thoughts real quick on my crazy off-the-wall prediction. I just say, wow, but you have a point. Be quiet. And I don't know if I have much to say. I, I'm kind of you. You caught me in a jaw dropper. <laughs> Hell yeah! Hell yeah! I know it. But you know, somebody's got to be wanting to be that guy, right? Somebody's got to be wanting to be. First of all, you can't just go Formula One racing. 
You got to have a whole, you think you got to have a lot of money to race NASCAR? You got to have, you got to have $120 million to race Formula One. That's every year you have to have, you have to have at least $120 million to race Formula One. So it, it takes a whole lot of money and it's going to take a whole lot of preparation to get an American talent to that. Uh, of course, Colton Herta has been trying uh, to get into Formula One and hasn't been, he hasn't been successful so far. Um, and I believe there's one other American driver uh, that's been an IndyCar that uh, is trying uh, to get FIA approved because you know unlike NASCAR you have to you have to get an approval process and of course NASCAR has approved you as well but it's a little bit harder to get an FIA license than it is to get a NASCAR license um, so um, those are all things that I think are weighing in the factor and look I, I mean I would not be surprised to hear Kyle Busch moves to Europe in a couple of years and that's going to be the direction. Uh, that, that he goes, one of these NASCAR drivers, their kid is going to go over to Formula One, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a multitude of drivers trying to get their child into um, that, that type of uh, that type of racing, just because, you know, it's not the fact that they want to leave their grassroots of, of NASCAR, but it's because they can, and there's an opportunity for an American to stand out and, you know, become the next Lewis Hamilton or Max Verstappen or... Um, you know, even Mark Weaver or possibly um, the great uh, Michael, um, shoot, not Andretti. Andretti tried his hand at point one. It wasn't very good. But Schumacher, I'm sorry, Michael Schumacher. There you go. So uh, that's that's my prediction. That's, that's, I know, it's off the charts. It's crazy as hell. Um, but, you know, hey, like I said, we heard earlier in the season that Keelan, had interest in going there. I do believe there's an interest amongst the NASCAR community of drivers to get one of their children into Formula One. Uh, and, you know, based off of the type of investment that they made into Braxton's career so far, I believe that he could be an opponent or a certain opponent to that. I don't believe, and I've heard rumors that Kyle Bush is going to buy into Richard Childress Racing. And he's getting it, liquidating his assets in order to do that. I am not sure that not only will Childress fill out, but also the Dillon family as well. You know, Mike Dillon is, of course, uh, the hair, the actual hair to uh, Childress Racing later on after Richard passes away. So um, I'm just not really sure if that's the exact route that that's going, that they're going to be going with there. But uh, we're down to about 15 minutes to go before the end of the show. I, I believe somebody had a stab of the day real quick, didn't they? Oh, um, yeah. So, Ryan Blaney, we've always known him as the, I don't really want to say like the one and done type of deal, but it's, it's essentially that's his, his story of his most of his racing career. Um one win, and that's pretty much all you do for the season. Um, but he he has had he has had one multi-win season, and with the second win of this season, that makes his second uh, multi-win season ever in his Cup Series career. And and I know Ryan Blaney's still got a long career ahead, but he's been in it for like what? Six, 
seven years now. Maybe I'm exaggerating the number of years, but it's yeah. hard to believe that he's only had two multi-winning two multi-winning seasons. Right. Well, Penske's been off all year. I know that, but uh, Ryan Blaney, I hate I said there in the stands at Talladega, Ryan Blaney has had top-notch equipment and hasn't seemed to be able to know what to do with it. So, um, you know, I'll stand by that as well. Uh, you, you want you want Penske drivers to be winning drivers. Uh, the last time I seen a a driver that raced for Penske that had a hard time finding victory lane, his name was Jeremy Mayfield, right? <laughs> or maybe David Strimmy. Uh, most of the time when you go to Penske, you win. So I don't know what Ryan James Blaney's problem is and why he has issues racing consistently each week. But uh, definitely be uh, interesting to see if he can make it to the final four and represent Ford in the championship race. All right, Taz Taylor. Well, this is your favorite time of the night. Look, we had a little bit of shakeup in points. I lost a view. I met you. Y'all were pretty scared when I won that stage race. Uh, that uh, I was on my way to going back to back there, but uh, you know that's just not the way the cookie come cookie crumbles sometimes. And uh, here I am now facing about eight ten points back. Uh, but you were able to make a significant climb, Taz Taylor. Correct? Tell us a little bit about the points, and then we'll get into Taz's hot pick. Um, Chris, you've been paying attention to the wrong week in points because you and I picked the same driver. This, even though you don't have the points lead in this round you're still guaranteed into the next round with your William Byron Texas pick um, but me on the other hand um, I thought I was doing pretty well like you said with Brad Keselowski looking good he got a stage win I'm doing alright and then the wreck happened and I went from I think, it was, I think it was like 9 or 10 points above the cut line going into Talladega and I left 10 points under so uh so for so for me to avoid elimination, I have to really nail my pick on the coffin and hope to God it works out that way. <laughs> um, but in terms of our NASCAR pool points, Chris, you're locked in. Uh, David's locked in. Those are the only two guarantees of into the next round um, of our. I guess. Uh, uh, into our round of six before we get into our championship four. Um, we'll elaborate that when we get to that point. Um, one thing I do want to mention, I mentioned it on, face, on our Race Chat Live page on Facebook, and it'll be mentioned um, also on the 110 Nation Sports website, and it'll be mentioned um, again either on Wednesday or Sunday for race day that if there is to be a tie in the points and it comes and it's basically who moves on and who doesn't um, obviously the main tiebreaker and it's always been this way the entire season and that's the number of correct picks you have made all season long um, should in the case um, two, two or more people are tied after that tiebreaker, um, it'll in the playoff scenario, um, whoever has the best finish in the round, regardless of whatever race it is, and NASCAR does this too, um, 
whatever the best finish is, um, whoever has it, they get the nod of moving forward. Um, like I said, NASCAR follows that same format, and our pool is going to follow the same format for the playoffs as well. So, with that being said, let's get into hot picks. We have the Charlotte Road Course, the Charlotte Roval, whichever you want to call it. Um, We have our favorites heading into this. Unfortunately, Chris is not going to like the first name to see, which is Chase the Face, Chase Elliott, um, last week's winner at Talladega, Ryan Blaney. And, of course, I have listed Tyler Reddick. Contenders, I have Chris Busher, William Byron, and A.J. Allmendinger. For the underdogs, I have Michael McDowell, Justin Haley, and Eric Jones. Um, one note I do want to mention before the rest of the panel uh, helps select our list for the week of hot picks. I wanted to list Michael McDowell as a contender, but the only, but the reason why I knocked him down to an underdog is because he has not scored a single top 10 of all the times we've been to the Charlotte Roval. And that's hard to say being a, how much of a good road, road course racer he is. Yeah, it's okay. Yeah. See the list of contenders. I mean, it's hard to. It's hard. You know, one of the guys that yeah, I don't normally start out with the underdog, but I feel like Daniel Suarez gets enough respect, and so I'm going to stand up for my amigo and uh, I, ask that his was name. That was the name I was going to mention first. <laughs> That's me and Miss Lee. They're brilliant. We're brilliant minds. Um. Daniel Suarez, I'd be okay with an underdog. Um, I I wouldn't say I wouldn't say he's a contender in the sense that he he could be a contender, but with um, I just I don't entirely. Uh, I'm underdog. I, I'm I'm okay with him being the under being an underdog. Yeah, I'm good with that. Has this race ever been won by somebody that wasn't in the chase? That's a good question. I know the first year it was ran, it was Ryan Blaney. He was in the chase. Um, crap, now i got to go further into my details. Thanks a lot, Chris. <laughs> yeah, no, no problem. Um, let's see. I know the first year Ryan Blaney, yes. Um, let me. I know the year Kyle Larson won it. I believe he was in the chase. Let's see. First year Ryan Blaney. Yes. Second year was Chase Elliott. Yes, he was in the chase. Third year was won by Chase Elliott, and I know he was in the chase then because that was. Let's see, 2018 Ryan Blaney, 2019 and 2020 were Chase Elliott. 2021 was Kyle Larson. Yes, because that was his championship season. And 2022 was Christopher Bell, and I know that was a chase driver. Um, right. at that point because that solidified him into the next round. Right. So no driver outside of the chase has ever won this race. That's very interesting. 
Um, I, I will have to, with that being said, there's two names that are not on here that I know are significant contenders in the chase right now. That's Kyle Larson and Martin Church Jr. Kyle Larson. I purposely left them off. I purposely left them off for a reason. Um, obviously, I want to get your guys' feedback on it, too. Kyle Larson, I can lift as a contender, but, I mean, we can throw him in the favorites category. I know Larson, to me, I don't feel like Larson is one of those easy names I can pick out of a hat in terms of road course racing. Um, I know his only top five and top ten at the Charlotte Roval is what is was his win. I say Larson contender, Truex uh, pretender. I can see Truex. I can. I can see Larson Truex and is Truex not liked anymore. contenders. We don't like Truex anymore because of what happened, and we can all admit it. But it is what it is. But Truex is still a good race car driver, and he's had an awesome year. Um, he does I think well as a contender. This one. Okay. All right. No favorite, though. Uh, I have no. a hard time with that one. Um, I'm not seeing as yet another Hendrick driver. Uh, by the name of Bowman, Alex Bowman on that list. Now, Alex, I'm so, I am so happy you mentioned his name because I also left. I almost threw his name in, but I want. I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to leave him off, and I know darn well Chris will bring him up. <laughs> um, so let me read Alex Bowman's stats, and this is going to. I can easily see him as a favorite on this one. My reasoning why, and I know Vegas odds will say otherwise, but his stats back him up to be a favorite big time. His average start is a 5.5. He has the best average finish of all active cup drivers, despite not having (laughs) a win of a 6.0. And here's the funny part. Out of the five races that the Cup Series has had at the Roval, Bowman's only been in four. He has finished in the top five twice, and he finished in the top ten all four times. Wow, that's a tough feat. Yeah, I would have to put I would have to put Bowman as a favorite. I'm good with that. that. Don't lie. All right. Well, what about Bryce Keselowski, Taylor? Uh, 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 Kozlowski, not much of a road course racer, so if I can't put him right. as a favorite, our contender list is full, and I think he's better than an underdog, in my honest opinion. So he's better um, than off the list. I, 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 I think would say he's situation. better off. He does have a win. It was 10 years ago. It was at Watkins Glen. Um, it was probably 11 years ago now, uh, but uh, because I believe it was his championship year. It was 2012, I do believe. Uh, but um, based off of how that team has run, uh, you know, Keselowski, what is Keselowski's stats 
at the Roval? Well, he's raced in all five Roval races, and he's only got one top five and one top ten. So, obviously, wherever he finished top five, that was his top ten as well. Um, He's led 39 laps at this track, a 14.4 average start, but falls back to a 17.6 average finish, which, believe it or not, believe it or not, he has the same average finish as Eric Almarola, and Almarola doesn't even have a top 10. Wow. Eh, so Kislevsky may not like the Roval. That's okay. We'll skip over him this time. He doesn't always have to be on the list. But one guy that I do believe that is not on this list, well, first of all, there's a contender, Denny Hamlin, and then there's well, the rookie, Ty Gibbs. I say, there's an underdog and a favorite spot left open, so um, I feel like Hamlin would not be a that? bad choice. I personally feel like Hamlin yeah. would not be a bad choice, but I would I would stay in the Toyota camp, Chris, if you're looking for a favorite, and on that same team, too. Um, if you're looking for an underdog, Ty Gibbs, honestly, would not be a bad choice. Right. Um, if you're looking right. for well, what favorite, about Christopher Bell, yeah, that's the where I'm winner, I mean. But that's Bell hasn't necessarily had the best year. But we said the same thing last year, too, and he shined when it needed. Mm-hmm. Bell has finished top ten no in his three races at the Royal Bowl. Okay. Well, it's sad to not see Harvick or Briscoe or um, the two guys, Mr. Austin Cindric. They, they're not on the list. Um, I think, you know, Ford's just not been strong, uh, and that's kind of a reason. Harvick probably hasn't had much success at the Rumble. Can you prove me wrong? Um, I just had um, five races, no wins, two top fives, three top tens, 38 laps led. His average start and average finish are the exact same of 11.6. Um, one other driver we did not mention out of the Ford camp as well um, has a better average finish than Keselowski is Joey Logano. Uh, no wins, one top five, four top tens. Uh, he has had – he's got one pole, like 35 laps. His average finish is a 9.4. And let me mention you know what, this quick. Let me mention this quick. There are five drivers – five active Cup Series drivers right now that have an average finish inside the top 10 at Charlotte Roval, and that's being Bowman, Reddick, Elliott, Logano, and Blaney. Christopher Bell is close to it. Huh. That's an interesting fact. Um, you know, if I had money to go put on it today, I guarantee there's one driver that I would put my money on to have a better finish this year than he's ever had before, and that is Bubba Wallace. Can Bubba get past the frustrations of road course racing and actually come out with a decent finish or possibly a win?
I know. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> I was gonna say that. That's too late for questions. <laughs> I was gonna say that. That's a bit of a stretch there, Chris. No, no chance in hell. <laughs> you know, he needs to get outside of his head yeah. okay. and focus on so, racing. Yeah, I, really, I really wasn't expecting too many comments from that. We had old sayings from back in the day, no chance in hell, and it was just fun to kind of bring that one back. Greg Moore will tell you about the no chance in hell. We we, we used to have little gags and stuff that we would pull all the time, Danny and Patrick Jones and stuff like that. The no chance in hell, I believe, was uh, really, it was uh, Mr. CJ Sports was still uh, a part of the, the show here. So, uh, guys, it's been great. We've filled our two hours. I feel like we hit a lot of uh, a lot of marks there. Uh, appreciate y'all uh, being uh, here with me tonight. We've just got a few shows left to go. Um, how many we got there? Four? Four shows? Five shows? Um, I would say four or five. I mean, we're. I mean, we got counting down. We got we got the we got the championship race, and then what the. After this race, so so let's see. After the Roval, and then after the next we'll three, so for five, five. Okay, cool. All right. Well, we're looking forward to it. And look, oh, yeah, I don't even know. Yeah, what race are we in in the chase? <laughs> <Race> five. <laughs> we're race five, and we got five more to go. Who the hell cares? We're we're down to the last few shows of the season. Uh, don't forget to check out our Monday night exclusive, the race, uh, the One Ten Nation Sports Race Chat Live exclusive every Monday night. Uh, it will not be an every Monday night series. Of course, we're just going through our little short season right now. So right now, you can catch us on every Monday night. Uh, it's uh, the One Ten Nation Sports Race Chat Live exclusive. Of course, on Wednesday night, it's the One Ten Nation Sports Show. Thursday night, Safety to Success, uh, racing uh, podcast by Jared Hudson. Check him out on Thursday night. Cass Taylor, the rundown of where you can find the show and close us out, my friend. All right. If you ever miss Race Chat Live or any of our shows here on Blog Talk Radio Live, each and every Monday, Tuesday, uh, Wednesday and Thursday. You can always listen to them on any form of podcast, such as iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, RSS Feed, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, GeoSaving, Podcast Addict, Deezer, Podchaser, YouTube, of course, Blog Talk Radio, and also Amazon Music. Uh, speaking of YouTube, head on over to the 110 Nation Sports uh, YouTube channel. Go click that subscribe button. Uh, if you don't feel like listening to our shows or want to catch a glimpse of not only our show, but the other three shows that Chris has mentioned, um, head on over to YouTube. There are clips of some of, some of our segments each and every week from each one of the shows, uh, just to give you a little, a small little taste of our, of how our shows go. We want to thank the sponsors that make the 110 Nation roll, Phoenix Fitness, or not Phoenix Fitness, uh, Bears Bullish Market Group, Carolina Sports Plus, TNT Designs, Yellow Caution Flag Productions, and more to music, entertainment, and karaoke. 
We'll see you at the same bat time, same bat place next Tuesday night. Make sure you get those picks in for the final race of the NASCAR playoffs in round number two, uh, starting tomorrow morning and, of course, into uh, Thursday evening. And we will see you all next Tuesday night. This has been the caution flag of Racing Radio. Chris Creighton, the Mama Bear of the 110 Nation, Miss Lee Reed. I'm Taz Taylor, the Tasmanian Devil of Flaggers. Say good night. We'll see you all next week. Good night, everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.